Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute and host for this episode. Today, we are joined by Jen Haskell, Director of Sales Training and Enablement at Monotype. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. First of all, Jen, can you give our listeners a little background about you and your role? And I also think it'd be very interesting to hear them for them to hear a little bit about Monotype and what you guys do there. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I celebrate my 20th year of having a career this year. Um, and I've had quite the evolution into sales enablement. I, I think when you look at sales enablement, the majority of us are either coming from a sales background or we're coming from more of that corporate education development background. And that's actually where I come from. Um, I started my career at a company called Kronos. I think I was a national training registrar. I moved up and became a technical support person for a virtual classroom. I became a facilitator of actual learning, did some instructional design. And about eight years ago, I joined a company to create a sales training program that didn't exist. And by the time I was done with that company five years later, I realized that what I had been doing all along was sales enablement. And lucky, luckily for me, at that point, sales enablement was kind of the up and coming thing. Um, so I have been doing sales enablement officially as part of my title since about 2016. Uh, as you mentioned, I currently do sales enablement today for a company called Monotype. Monotype is a global company. We're headquartered in Woburn, Massachusetts, which is right outside of Boston. We have offices all over the world, including a huge EMEA presence. Uh, we're growing in APAC. And basically, we're a brand company. So we're the first stop for marketing leaders and innovators when it comes to brand expression. What we deliver is design assets, technologies, expertise that allow those brands to build something that's authentic and memorable, including the experience that their customer has at every possible touch point that they, they offer. So we're really known for two things. And believe it or not, chances are you've already interacted with our intellectual property today before we even got on this podcast and you just didn't realize it. Uh, the first thing is fonts or typography. It's actually a business and it's a very good business. It's a very unique and profitable business. What we own right now is a library of more than 30,000 fonts that we created and designed that we license out to customers. In addition to that, we also work with customers to create their own custom branded fonts as well. And then the second side of our business is a company called Olapic. And you know, these days companies need engaging user-generated content in branded videos at scale. And that's where Olapic comes in. So we offer that technology that allows us to collect and to curate this influencer-generated or brand-generated content. So I have to tell you, Jen, when I when I told my design team who I was talking with, they totally yep. geeked out. 
They were like, what? No, really? That's yeah. cool. <laughs> they were so excited because like the fonts you guys deal with aren't like, oh, this is a font you've never heard of. They're, I mean, you know, they they can wax poetically on my design team about Helvetica for hours. So this was oh, very exciting for them. That's so. really cool. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. One of the things that I really love when you talk about sales enablement is kind of, you always talk about being the ultimate sales psychologist and, and using that techniques in your sales enablement. And I would love um, for, for us to explore that topic today, because I think that's a topic and an approach and a way of thinking that all of us in product marketing can use regardless of the type of company that we have. So tell yeah. us, first of all, a little bit more about like the umbrella of what that means to you. So I've said this before, when I originally said that, I think it was about four years ago, I was at a holiday party and it was a gathering of sales enablement professionals because it was the Boston chapter of the Sales Enablement Society. I, I said that jokingly. <laughs> and then I realized that there was an element of truth to it when it really clicked. And I, I really knew that there was something there was when I joined the monotype business because it's such a unique business. It's been around for so long. Um, there were some disconnects between the sales organization, the marketing organization, the sales enablement team. And I realized if there was ever a company where that statement was true and needed to be acted upon in order to build credibility, it was as I was transitioning into this new role here. Um, so what started out as a joke very quickly became a reality. For me, what I'm seeing all the time is some really good sales managers that are driving the productivity and the performance of their sales reps. And I'm also hearing from time to time things like it's not personal, it's business. And that's where I make the connection to enablement and being the ultimate psychologist. Because for me, to gain credibility, to have champions that believe in enablement, it actually does have to be personal. And in order for me to make those personal connections, I need to understand a lot of different psychology functions like organizational behavior, motivational techniques, what resonates with one sales rep isn't necessarily gonna resonate with another. So that's how I get my buy-in is by really understanding the psychology of, of how people receive information and how they learn. So what are some of the ways that you do that? And, and let me first ask, is your approach to, to kind of think about the way people, salespeople in general learn and, and absorb information, or is it a more one-on-one -on -one initiative and approach for you? So I would actually say that I find about a 50-50 balance between the two of those things, because, you know, we've all, anyone in the space knows that for years, we've been talking about things like adult learning um, how adults learn best. But I also do want to make that one-on-one -on -one connection with my reps because I think it just gives me better clarity about what's going on in the organization, whether it's uncovering an opportunity where I think maybe an, a manager could be enabled better, whether it's a rep that's struggling in a particular area, but maybe they really excel in another area or whether it's just understanding the conversations that they're having with our clients and, and how I can take all of that, absorb it, and then start to build it into my various programs. So for me, it's definitely a combination of 
adult learning theory as a whole, but then also the one-on-one that I need, the one-on-one interaction and engagement that I need with the reps in order to get the credibility that I'm looking to achieve or to get them on board with the programs I'm releasing. That's a perfect answer. Thank you. That helps. I also wonder, um, not wonder, but one of the things that I found really interesting as we've talked in kind of preparation for this podcast was the breadth of the definition of sales enablement in the role that you have and in, in sort of that function at monotype. I think in some tech companies that I talk to, sales enablement is a small portion, almost sometimes an afterthought, unfortunately, but not always, of, of a product marketer role, right? I do all of these things. I do positioning and I talk to analysts and I work on, on all of these other uh, handoffs and then I do sales enablement. And when you talk about sales enablement and the sort of breadth of services that you provide and the breadth of support, I found that fascinating. So um, if you can just talk a little bit about what kind of things, when you say sales enablement, what type of items you're doing, what type of tools are you producing, what type of support are you providing? I think that would be great. Yeah. Well, first, let me say that usually sales enablement is going to fall into one of two categories. It's either going to be more on the marketing side and it's more focused on content marketing, or it falls within the sales organization and it's more focused on sales excellence, sales effectiveness, and sales readiness. For me, I am definitely more focused on that sales excellence and sales readiness piece My ultimate goal is to make sure that every interaction my reps have with existing clients or people that we're prospecting into is a good interaction. It's effective and that customer wants to come back and continue to talk to us. So my role in all of that is everything from creating sort of the the foundational learning for new hires. It's creating the continuous learning that my entire sales team needs. It's the manager enablement piece. A lot of the time you have very successful sales reps that get promoted into manager roles. They understand management only from a high level and we need to really get them to a deeper level of mastery when it comes to managing people and what it takes to be effective. addition to that, I'm also an advocate for my team. So I work tirelessly with my marketing, you know, sales enablement, it doesn't matter if you're on the marketing side or the sales side, you have to be tightly aligned to your marketing organization. I'm working with marketing so that they're creating content that my reps can use to prospect out to clients or my reps can use to continue customer success conversations. But in addition, I'm also working with marketing so that they're creating content that helps my reps learn and continue to develop as well. What's going on in the industry? Who are we selling to? What's our personas? What are we hearing for trends and things of that nature? So in addition to my relationship and collaboration with marketing, I also work with operations. I work with our Salesforce team. I work with our sales tool vendors because I want to make sure that my reps have every single tool in their sales tool belt that they need to be successful. And I do facilitate training in addition to creating programs, um, but I also do a lot of strategic deal coaching, whether it's video-based assessments, 
role plays or one-on-ones. So I think sales enablement, especially at Monotype and pretty much just me in general and my approach, we wear a lot of different hats to ensure that those sales reps are set up to succeed. One of the reasons, Jen, I know that you're successful at this. And one of the things I love is that you say my reps. Ah. Uh, My (laughs) reps do this, my reps, what things, because I think again, often sales enablement, especially when it does live in marketing or product marketing, it's, uh, I'm going to help those people or the sales team and the, the, my reps, just that own piece of it, that the ownership and the partnership and the connectedness I think is great. Well, I like to hear that. I, I remember a few years ago, um, I had a sales leader actually say to me, well, they're not your reps. They're my reps. I'm, I'm the one they report up to directly. And my response to that was, well, I understand on an org chart, they're your reps. But at the end of the day, if I have a new hire that leaves the organization within a year because they felt like they couldn't be successful, I take that personally. And basically, if a sales rep is successful, then I feel fulfilled in my job. And and so when I say my reps, it's because their success determines my success. So thank you for calling that out. Absolutely. So then that, I think, brings up a good question. So you have all these programs for them. Your goal is to make them successful. I suspect like that individual, they don't always embrace you with open arms. Is that the case? Or are they just like, yay, Jen's here? No. <laughs> I mean, they, they are literally always like, yay, Jen has another certification for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a parade. It's very exciting. <laughs> the reality of it is a sales rep's natural response is always going to be, and really should always be, I can't focus on this right now because I need to drive revenue. I get that. Um, And they should be thinking that because obviously their priority is to hit a quota and hopefully even over exceed on that quota. So my approach to that is first off, timing is everything. You're not going to see me launch anything in Q4. The only thing I focus on in Q4 is if a rep wants to work on strategic deal coaching for deals that they're trying to close for the end of the year. I don't do any training in Q4 because I want them to focus on selling and closing strong. I focus on sales kickoff and and preparing for that. Otherwise, you'll also not see me do anything at the end of a month or the end of a quarter for the same exact Mm -hmm. reasons. So the timing is absolutely essential. Getting the buy-in from the managers and making them stakeholders. I also don't consider myself a dictator. I know exactly what the team wants. And I always joke, you know, for years, my husband thinks he's come up with a lot of great ideas. But what he didn't realize is I actually implanted those ideas and made him think they were his own. (laughs) 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 And so in a sense, I kind of do the same thing with my sales team. I make them stakeholders. And, And I say to my sales managers, hey, this is what I think needs to happen, but you have ownership in this. And when should this be rolled out? And what level of support am I going to get from you? The the ultimate key is my reps know every time I launch something up front, why they're doing it and what the benefit is for them and what we're going to track for measurements of success so that they know once they've completed it, okay, this this is where we've moved the needle because of that. If you can actually do that two or three times and be impactful very quickly, your reps aren't going to question you anymore when you launch those programs because they know that it's only going to help them succeed. 
Do you have some stories about programs that you did that went really well? And then of course, you know, we, we all have them, unfortunately, in our past, maybe a program that didn't go so well yeah. or didn't go how you expected. Well, let me, let me start with what didn't go well, because I like to end on a good note. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> end on the high note. Perfect. Um, so I had this, what I thought was this really great idea to build credibility and kind of have like a, an open door office hours for sales enablement. You know, we sent it out to the organization. This actually was when I was at Brainshark, which if it didn't work there, it's not going to work anywhere else the way I structured it because they literally are an enablement company. But I thought, you know, every Monday between one and three, we're going to be in this conference room. We're going to have a Zoom meeting set up and it's just open hours. If you need to come in and you have a question, you want to talk about a deal, whatever the case may be we'll be sitting there waiting for you. It doesn't have to be scheduled. Well, what happened was the team could not handle the fact that it was so open and there wasn't a structured agenda to it. And it also didn't quite work, you know, having a virtual audience and having people in the conference room. So I think what I would do differently for that is probably launch it and roll it out as two separate components, doing open office hours for the virtual sales force, and then doing something in a conference room for people that are on site in that office. But at the same time, I also think that although I didn't need a structured agenda minute by minute, if I could have at least, you know, identified two or three areas that we would focus on in that particular session, it would have given the reps a little more of an, an idea of where they'd see the benefit in it. Because otherwise, I guess it probably came off as kind of a free-for-all. Yeah, that's a great one. Lack of structure, clarity, splitting audiences, uh, the best laid plans. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I thought it was a genius idea, but it didn't go over too well. Um, and then, you know, programs that I have launched that I consider to be wildly successful and and actually, they're programs that I share out with other fellow practitioners of sales enablement, as well as customers that are purchasing sales enablement technology, because I, I know if I share it with them, it's a good way that they can get some user adoption. The first one is my sales newsletter. This is something that I created because I recognized that the sales reps were being communicated to by a lot of different groups, whether it was sales managers, whether it was colleagues, whether it was sales leadership, whether it was marketing, whether it was company communications, they were getting hit multiple times a day from multiple different directions. And they're on the road, they're on back-to-back -back customer calls, really important stuff was being missed. So if you ask me like four or five years ago, what was one of the common things I heard from some of the departments I collaborated with, it was, well, your sales reps don't listen. We sent that in an email. And that's when the light bulb went off because I said, well, you sent it in an email, but you, are, you do realize that they're getting blasted with emails throughout the day. How do you know that they received it and absorbed it? And so what I did was I created a weekly sales newsletter and notice, I don't call it the sales enablement newsletter. It is a sales newsletter and that's why I call it you know, sales newsletter because it's for them. It's not for me. 
And what I've done is I've consolidated all of that messaging that they would have received from multiple individuals throughout the week. I've put it in one spot. They get it every Thursday. They know everything, whether it's product releases, whether it's industry articles, whether it's success stories, whether it's sales enablement, quick tips and learning, upcoming events. They know what's required. It's like there's this one section that says, if you don't pay attention to anything else in this newsletter, do not miss these two items. And there's also a really nice shout out section uh, where we can shout out just different individuals, different teams that have accomplished something, have contributed, uh, or even something like a motivational quote. That to me is the ultimate success in enablement. I have taken that enablement tool, that sales newsletter, to two organizations so far, and it's been well received. And it's something that I get asked for most often by colleagues in the enablement profession. Do you have a template that you can share with us? So that's one example. I think that's a great example. And I, I think it's really important the 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 twist you put on it as well, that it's a sales newsletter and not a sales enablement newsletter, because they know immediately if it's for you and written about only your items and from your perspective versus this is the newsletter that has all of the information you need for you from your perspective for the exactly, sales team. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I'll give you one other example because I'm really you know, I've always been super focused on the onboarding experience. I've had some pretty horrendous onboarding experiences myself as a new <laughs> hire. <laughs> so I'm very passionate about what it should be and what it could be moving forward. I do think that, you know, having a very strategic 30, 60, 90 day plan for reps, it doesn't have to be as detailed as on day one, do this, on day two, do this. But I do like to break it down and say, listen, during your first 30 days with the company, these are all the things that you should complete for learning, whether it's live, whether it's observation, whether it's virtual through a learning platform, here's everything that you're going to do. But the biggest key for that is at the end, actually telling them as a result of completing this stuff in your first 30 days, here's your milestones that you'll be expected to hit. So, you know, those don't necessarily have to be quote unquote certifications. It could really be something like, okay, there's a sales enablement milestone at the end of 30 days where you've mastered the one minute elevator pitch. Then I work with the sales managers and say, this is my version of what the 30, 60, 90 day looks like. This is the enablement stuff that I expect to happen. I want you to now plug in your expectations from a sales leader point of view so that the rep knows it's not just what enablement wants it's also what they're going to need to accomplish at the end of 30 days as a new sales rep so i work with the managers to find the balance in that 30 60 90 day plan of what the sales enablement milestones are and how they align to the actual sales milestones and expectations for that time frame as well. And so I think at the end of the day, the message that you're sending there from day one is we have a plan for you to succeed. And we're not just telling you what you have to complete. 
We're also telling you why you have to complete it because by completing those things, these are the things that you'll be able to accomplish in the end. I love that. It makes such a difference how you onboard an employee, not only in how quickly they get up to speed and and in the case of sales, how quickly they're um, contributing to revenue, but how long they stay and just the type of employee they are. If you don't do it well, it's really hard to repair. They have, they have an impression of the environment and you end up having an impression of them that is a reaction to that, that is very difficult to shift. So if you can get that right, hugely different. It is really different. And I would say, you know, for anyone listening, if you can start that out, when I started that, the first one I did was as generic as possible that it applied to all of the sales organization because it was a good starting point. It was a good benchmark and it was better than what we had before, which was nothing. (laughs) Um, But then once you can establish that, then you want to go back six months later because now you're going to have some benchmarking in metrics, quantifiable metrics that you can work off of. And then you're going to want to take that generic version that applies to all of sales and you're going to start tailoring it and cranking out new versions that are specific to each of your sales roles. And that is just going to move the needle more. So for example, uh, business development reps or account development reps, whatever you want to call them, you could make theirs more tailored because they typically have an even shorter ramp time than your enterprise and your outside field reps. You know, there's this expectation with the personas that fill that particular role that they get promoted within 12 to 18 months. And that's really the trend that we're seeing with millennials who tend to fill those roles. And I love that. I love that aggressive behavior. I always like to remind them, hey, you still got to earn that a little bit. You don't just get promoted because you hit that 12 month mark. Like you have to show that you're ready for the next level. But I love that way of thinking. And so for them, I know it's that much more important to get them producing quicker so that we can have them effective in the role as long as possible. So like an example milestone with a very strategic BDR onboarding plan is day 14, they should be able to pick up the phone and start calling clients, which means from an enablement point of view, they have to understand our business enough to do that one minute elevator pitch and to do some sort of qualification effectively. I think it helps them set their expectations too. I think it's very hard for uh, not necessarily new salespeople, like you're talking about, but even existing um, experienced salespeople who come to a new organization. That part where they're not on the phone yet is really hard because I find that they are so anxious to be on the phone and, and start delivering and proving their worth and getting it that I almost can't get through to them. They almost resent any training, right? They're just like, yeah. just tell me exactly what I need to know. And you're like, well, that, okay, wait, hold on. Uh, but so setting those expectations and, and letting them see it and then you can align around it seems like a great approach. Well, and you know what I try to do in that instance as well, because I know, I know they get antsy. They want it. They've made mm-hmm. some serious money before in a previous role and they want to continue making that money as soon as possible. So I certainly understand that. Uh, and there have been times where I've said, please trust me, give me these first 90 days so that from, you know, day 91 on, you're just going to absolutely crush it. And so there are 
are times where I say, just pull back on the reins just a little bit and have a little faith in the program. But what I'll also do is I'll take a new hire that has transitioned from that new hire status into more of the I've onboarded and I've been around for eight or nine months now and I'm starting to close deals and make traction. I will place them together in a room and just facilitate a conversation where it's like, hey, you know, the first rep that started, why don't you share some of the insights and the experiences and the lessons learned that you've had in your past nine months with the organization? And that actually really helps because usually what happens is that rep will look at the new rep and say, listen, I wasn't bought into onboarding to begin with because I know I'm a good sales rep and I wanted to make revenue quickly. But because I went through the program, here's some examples, firsthand examples of where I saw the biggest benefit. Just having that peer feedback kind of breaks down the walls of, I don't need this training. I have to start selling now. That's a great idea. Again, They'll listen to you, but there's a lot more um, authenticity for them when they hear it from a peer. Yes. Uh, so I think that that's a, a powerful way, again, of, of getting buy into the program because it is a place where I actually see the most tension. Yeah. And, and in fact, when someone's been here for a while and I'm going to spend some time on a topic with them, they tend to be pretty open, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we pick topics of which we know that they, they might need to know more or that's new or something like that. And, and, and we know them and they, and they trust us and they know we're going to deliver the right information the right way. But that early part is where I, I definitely have the most tension and pushback. Well, and you know what's funny is this is where the psychology comes into it. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that would look at that situation like I do. Actually, I, I don't think there is, but I hope I'm wrong. This is one instance where I would love to be wrong. I look at that situation and I get in the head of the new hire and I think about, okay, why are they reacting that way? Well, listen, at the end of the day, they probably have a mortgage to pay. They might be sending kids through college. So like, I don't want them to perceive my training as something that is preventing them in their first three months from being able to make the money that they need to make to sustain their life. So I really do look at it like if I do my job right, I can help someone who already has the skill set. I can help them hone that around our business so that they can continue to pay for their child's education. They can continue to take their families on vacation. They can pay their mortgage. Um, and I think just because I use that approach allows me to handle them with a little more empathy and, and understanding around their thought process and what they may be perceiving the training to be. A great point. I also think they, uh, there's always a risk when you change a job. And yeah. I think for a salesperson, that's particularly acute. You're used to coming in with a pipeline. You know what to expect. You know what close rates are. And unfortunately, some companies that hire salespeople maybe paint a little rosier picture of, of uh, timing and commission structure. So there's always, I think, a little bit of, I'm not going to trust how the money works until I, I see it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I think that's part of it. And I also think there's an ego play. Like a good salesperson is used to being a big, um, you know, the person ringing the bell a lot, delivering a lot, being the top dog and they come in and they're new and, and it's hard for them to, you know, they have the confidence without the proof points and it's, it, I think it can be a difficult part on their ego as well. 
Well, absolutely, right? It's it's not fair. <laughs> Life isn't fair and it's not always easy to go from being number one to kind of being at the bottom of the totem pole and working your way up. And so I think it does bruise the ego a little bit. But I also think they they have this feeling that you know, I've just negotiated with my CSO or my CRO uh, a salary, and now I need to prove myself or I'm at risk. So I, I understand that. And, you know, I get it. Yep. Awesome. All right, Jen, we have talked about a ton of different things today. I could talk to you about this forever. I'm making notes, not just for our conversation about things. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go do that. Oh. <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> so, but- <laughs> you could get um, our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? So I think the, the first thing I would get them to do today would be start looking at things from a psychological point of view. And if you don't know what that means, start looking at empathy and empathy in sales. Because as a sales enabler, in order to establish the relationships that you're gonna to need to establish to have effective and quantifiable programs, you are gonna to have to be able to recognize the times where empathy is gonna allow you to get your point across to the sales rep. Um, and empathy isn't sympathy, I always say this, you know, the last thing you want to do in this role is to demonstrate sympathy. That's, that's something that you would do if you were at a funeral or you had a colleague where somebody in their family was really sick. Empathy is actually quite a different thing. It's the ability to be able to recognize how they're feeling, but not really apologize. You would never say, well, I'm sorry that you're struggling in the role and you're not hitting your numbers. It's just two very different things. So there's a lot of good information out there on empathy and how you can use that with emotional intelligence to be more impactful in your organization. And I also think not only will that benefit you as the sales enabler trying to enable, but it allows you to demonstrate to your sales reps a way that they can talk to their customers because they should be selling with empathy as well. And then the second thing I would say is really focus on behaviors versus results because sales behaviors are what drive performance. Uh, a successful sales enablement team should always be focusing on identifying, measuring, and coaching those effective sales behaviors. And that kind of starts with knowing what the quote unquote good sales rep behaviors are. And it also focuses a lot on just starting with some defined KPIs and working backward. So I always like to know those KPIs in advance because I will build my programs around them. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Jen, for joining us today. This was fantastic. And I do hope that you will join us again sometime. Oh my gosh. I would love to. Thank you so much. I had a great conversation with you. To your point, I feel like we could be here for the next two hours talking about this. So I hope I shared some relevant and helpful stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 